Welcome to the RCPS Community Partner Cafe. We're glad you're here. This podcast is for parents, community partners, and anyone interested in learning more about education, child development, and other topics related to Rockingham County Public Schools, Virginia. I am your host, Katie Lapira, Coordinator of Community Engagement, along with school social worker Donna Delisle. Let's get started. Welcome to RCPS Community Partner Cafe. This is Episode 6, and I'm Katie Lapira. I'm here with our school social worker, Donna Delisle, and our school psychologist, uh, Phil Wickline. And we're going to be talking today about cognitive functioning and education. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Thank you, Phil, for being here. I appreciate your time. Yeah, sure. So there has been a lot of information out in public media regarding um, learning and It's ongoing in the brain. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, from your perspective, cognitive functioning and what is it? You know, lots of different cognitive abilities. And so one of the things that uh, researchers and psychologists over time have tried to do is uh, categorize them or make sense of how they might fit together and the different purposes that they might serve. I think a good starting point is these seven broad cognitive abilities that we have. So... For example, two of them have to do with how we process sensory information, information from our senses. So auditory processing would be making sense out of information that you hear. Um, And visual processing would be making sense out of information that you see. Um, We have two broad abilities that are related to how we think and reason and solve problems. Um, so one of those is is language and fact-based. So that would be things like, you know, your word knowledge, your level of vocabulary, and just your general knowledge about the world around you. You know, what do you do with a hammer? Or, you know, where could you find a, a set of keys? Or, so you know, things like that. It doesn't have to be necessarily academic material. The other broad ability related to reasoning would be um, nonverbal reasoning. So just when faced with a a situation or a problem that you aren't familiar with, being able to sort of on the spot figure it out. Uh, And then we've got different aspects of of memory, short-term or what we call working memory or long-term memory. And then another broad ability would be just how quickly and easily and automatically we can do some of these different things. There's a lot that goes into there is a lot. cognition. Yeah. It's a, well, the brain is a complicated thing. Yes, it is. Absolutely. For parents, can you give us some ideas on how parents can create an optimal environment that would help to promote those different skills? Yeah, yeah. I think it's easy to, you know, hear those, you know, different Because like you said, it's complicated and there's lots of different cognitive abilities and it's technical and whatnot. But I think luckily for us parents, you can provide a good environment, a growing environment without having to know any of that. And a lot of it centers on just our our sort of basic needs, having our, our basic needs met. Things like sleep and exercise and nutrition, things like that. Are there some things that parents can be as role models for our kids uh, that would help promote that that cognition? Yes, yeah. I think to the extent that as um, adults and parents that we can 
model the things that we want our kids to be doing, then that's important. As a parent myself, I'll say that it's not always the easiest thing, but I think it is the, it's the wise decision in, in the long run. We hear a lot about the importance of background knowledge. Can you give me some examples of how an experience um, that could, a parent could provide their child that could promote that background knowledge? You know, when we think about learning in school, we think, as a psychologist, I think most often about memory, encoding information into memory and retrieving information. But really, uh, you hit the nail on the head that, you know, more and more research shows that the idea that knowledge begets knowledge, the more you know, the easier it is to learn and get more knowledge. And I think of it as either like a filing cabinet or even one of those coat racks, you know, the tall ones that have the pegs, just in the sense that if when you learn something new, I guess we'll go with the coat rack example, it puts another peg onto the post. And so if you have more pegs, then when new information comes in or a new jacket, you can put it with other information that is already there that's similar or, you know, making the connections across different things. So a background knowledge doesn't have to necessarily come from extravagant experiences. It can be day-to-day experiences learning opportunities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about things, just the fancy phrase that I hear sometimes is participation in one's culture. If you are doing, you know, summer program at the local library or Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, or even just camping as a family, visiting new places, talking with new people. um, I wouldn't recommend this as the only source But, you know, even watching interesting things, a a movie or a documentary or, you know, even if it's a a fictional account of somebody's life. And I think, too, as as parents, we've got more knowledge and we can make the connections between um, different things easier and quicker than our kids can. And so, you know, asking them questions, well, you know, why do you think they did that or, you know, what would happen, even if it's just sort of silly, you know, like if your son or daughter is playing with slime, you know, what, what would it be like if this room was, what if we were up to our knees in slime right now? And it's kind of a ridiculous thing, but it causes them to, to sort of think through, well, it would be hard to walk and, um, you know, it probably would dye our legs blue for a while and what would other people think and you know what would happen when we opened the door thinking through these different scenarios so creativity is a big part of um, foundation for learning can you talk about that and how that helps well i think you know i think some when we hear the word creativity we think of like artists and musicians and things like that and and i would be the first to say that that's not me but it doesn't have to be related to those types of things, but I think just making, being able to make connections between things that on the surface might not seem to be related or even just wondering, wondering aloud, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I wonder if this thing and this thing are related and how might they be related? So for now more than ever, we have so many more electronics in our lives, phones, tablets, screens, TV, 
Can you tell us a little bit about uh, electronics and how that impacts cognition? Yeah, well, it's it's complicated, but there I think there are some some easy takeaway points. On the one hand, technology can be helpful, even from you know when when I was a, a kid, shelves of encyclopedias are now in our pocket. But there are some some shadow sides to that as well. You know, even even in terms of of um, learning, essentially, so our, our memory in terms of retrieving information is sort of like a muscle. You know, the more that you use it, the better you become at it. And so, I can't think of a conversation that I haven't had recently where somebody says, "Oh, well, what was the name of that book?" or "What was the name of that actor?" I can't pull up the information, so I'm, you know, grabbing for my phone real quick. And so that, you know, that would be sort of the the shadow side. There, there is research to show that it's harder to remember things without some some cueing. But that also is a I don't want to say a tale as old as time, but there are even quotes going back to the Rolodex. Um, I we can all remember where you know you knew twenty phone numbers by heart. These days, I could probably tell you the number of phone numbers I know on one hand. But back before the Rolodex, everybody knew all the contact information, the name, the phone number, the address, things like that. So you know, I think time, being conscientious about how we're using our phones and what we want from them and want for ourselves. And making conscious decisions about how we want to, the behaviors we want to engage in. Can you tell us any recent research regarding electronics and parents? Yeah, so, you know, even back in 2015, half of children back then had their own tablet, order had their own phones, um, and higher for, for teenagers. Most parents, almost all parents, were doing something. Um, in this particular survey, to limit their children's access to technology or regulate it. But almost half of them said that it was almost a constant battle um, to try and limit it. And I hear that a lot, as I'm sure you do, too. It's kind of an ongoing battle. In terms of social connections and learning, I know we're constantly battling between the electronics because that's not necessarily a social activity. Can you talk about the importance of uh, socialization and how that relates to learning? Yeah, sure. It's not necessarily related to content learning, right? Like reading, reading, writing, math, science, those types of things. But the amazing thing about just human interactions is that they're complex. You can't oftentimes just be on autopilot think about kids and on the playground and so you know they're they're learning the the complexities of nonverbal communication and you know they're making up rules to games as they go you know a lot of playground games are are fast right they're running around and chasing each other and you know and so they're having to make decisions quickly and automatically and so this gets back to the idea that a lot of things that can be done to promote learning are just sort of basic you know meeting basic needs you know so for example the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that um, essentially school age children first through high school get 1 hour of vigorous exercise a day 
and it doesn't have to be on the treadmill or climbing a mountain, but like even just playing on the playground or riding bikes or whatever, there's learning that's taking place in the context of those social interactions that's good for the brain, which is good for learning. How do you think COVID has impacted kids and learning? Yeah, I think, you know, sort of two things. So one, we've gotten out of practice of these social interactions unless you um, were quarantining with a large family or come from a large family, we've gotten out of practice. And so it's difficult to sort of, and awkward, to jump back into the waters. And then also, even implicitly in the back of our minds, COVID was kind of a lot of unknown and scary, but it was transmissible between people. And so, especially right after coming out of quarantine, folks were even maybe a little wary of interacting with each other. So, yeah, I think we've got a little bit of catching up to do. We Mm -hmm. need to sort of get back on the uh, hamster wheel and practice, practice, practice. (laughs) In terms of anxiety, and I'm sure you can explain a little bit about how anxiety impacts the brain in terms of cognition. Yeah, well, it's, so it's it's really disruptive. It's hard to focus your attention um, if you're anxious, and that attention is really at the forefront. You know, if you're not paying attention, it's not going to get into your long-term memory. Something that comes along with anxiety is is avoidance. It's that same sort of learning pattern that goes along with how seatbelts work in the sense that, you know, if you get into the car and you start driving without your seatbelt, the the star start, the car starts beeping at you, making a really annoying noise. And so you, you remember and you buckle up and the, the noise goes away. And so you're more likely to buckle up next time because you don't want the noise to come. Um, and it's sort of the same thing with anxiety. You know, we're anxious about the social interaction. You know, you're talking to somebody, it's been two minutes. And so you, you know, you're nervous, you want to run away and you leave and the uncomfortable feeling goes away. And so then the next time it makes it more likely that you're going to withdraw from, from that interaction. And so we just find ourselves in this uh, vicious cycle of getting further and further away from the thing that is causing us anxiety. When really it's more like if you have an, an injury to your arm or something like that, you know, you want to guard it and not use it, but then it becomes weaker. And so the, the solution is, even though it doesn't feel good, you know, you work with a physical therapist or whatever to, to use it, it doesn't feel good at first, but eventually it comes back, the muscle comes back. So it's important to encourage our kids to stick to it, even though it may be an uncomfortable experience in terms of learning a new for information. Sure, for sure. And, and even just normalizing it, right? Like not just, you know, tough it out and you'll be fine. But, you know, there are times when I don't want to go to work on a Monday morning. I don't know that anybody wants to be at school on a Monday morning, but, you know, it's our work. It's what we've got to do. And, you know, once you get there, You'll have fun and, you know, things like that. Right. Well, this has been very interesting, Phil. Um, I'm just sort of on our ending note, uh, is, is there anything you'd like to sort of chime in with in terms for our parents and, and, and learning that would be interesting? Yeah, I think being, like I said before, conscientious uh, in, in making decisions, making a conscious decision to, to spend time interacting. I mean, the, that's the the biggest context in which, you know, kids are going to learn. The, the more time you spend with your kids, 
quality time and, and thinking about their well-being in terms of sleep and exercise and nutrition, they're going to be in, in a better spot for learning. Great. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Glad to do it. I'd like to thank Phil and Donna for the discussion. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to the RCPS Community Partner Cafe. If you would like to learn more about the information discussed on this podcast, visit us at www.rcps.net. If you have questions related to your own child, please contact their school directly. The information shared on this podcast does not substitute for advice directly related to your child. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to share. Thank you.